welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 139, A Silence of Three Parts. My name is Scatty, and with me as always is my buddy, Matt. Greetings, everybody. Today's an exciting day, Scad. It is. An exciting day, because A we're... weird di- day. Weird? Yeah, weird. Uh, it's a little different yeah, for us. Different world. Different people. Different mm-hmm. everything. Same old Davos Fingers. Same old Davos Fingers. Fantastic yeah. writer. Different writer. Mm-hmm. Fantastic mm-hmm. writer. Um, let's stop bandying about. We <laughs> are covering The King Killer Chronicle by Patrick Rothfuss, starting with book one, Name of the Wind. Today, we are going to be covering the first four chapters of The Name of the Wind. That includes the prologue happening prior. Um, so we end with the chapter Halfway to Noir. Uh, we'll also be be bringing back Davos After Dark. So stick around after the episode to chat about all things spoilery. But this first section, we are going to keep it spoiler-free. That's right. Yeah, we haven't done Davos After Dark in like years, Matt. And we did Dragons After Dark. Oh, that's right. Oh, with, you're right. Yeah, we did that for House the, of the Dragon for House of the Dragon. That's but true. it's it's been weird, man. It has. It's been weird. And good job getting the name right. Because about half the time, I say the King Killer Chronicles, mm-hmm. which is not correct. But I love, this is one of my favorite books in the world, and I still miss it up most of the time. Well, it's in the outline here that I was reading off of, so. <laughs> well, I still mess it up. The King Killer Chronicle. Uh, which we'll get into uh, a little bit. Uh, why King Killer, Matt? Why do we go with this path? Why do we do this? We're a we're a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. That's a really interesting question with a really interesting answer. Because we wanted to. We usually do what we want. It's our podcast. <laughs> it is what we want. No, That's but we've we done it. We've done a ton of our Song of Ice and Fire content. It's our bread and butter. It's our passion. We love it. We loved talking to members of the Kalisar over the past few years really right that we've been doing a segment called meet the Kalisar, where we've gotten to know you and discuss your favorite chapters with you we loved covering house of the dragon but uh we felt like we needed to breathe some fresh air um into into the podcast a little bit and into our content mm-hmm. and the king killer chronicle is one that is uh lauded as a wonderful work of fantasy that you know there is content on out there it has a wiki there's podcasts on it people love it mm-hmm. but we felt that it, it there's depths there that we could mine and enjoy mining so we picked it up yeah and uh, we've heard a few, from a few of our our listeners and friends that you like it too so obviously That's we true. love to cater to you a little bit and give you content that you'll like to hear so it's also for you guys and you know Matt I'm not usually the optimist here but maybe we'll pick up a few new friends along the way you know I'm always down for a new friend. Killer. Yeah. You know, I, part of it too, George just waited us out, man. He waited he us really out. Did. It feels like we're having some sort of little silent contest. He's waiting us out. What are they going to do? He's like, how, how, how far how, down to that bottom of that barrel can they get? How, how long will they wait they before they quit? Yeah. Well, George, we forfeit. You, you win. win. You, you win, buddy. You wins tomorrow. You win. We forfeit. You win. <laughs> Any day now. Go ahead. You, you win. Uh, yeah, no, the name of the wind is a phenomenal read. We're excited to cover something fresh, like Matt said. Um, and yeah, I, I think there's some, there's some coverage out there, but you know, maybe not as much attention as it deserves, you know, like Song of Ice and Fire has been around a lot longer, but the wiki for King Killer Chronicle is not nearly as comprehensive. No, not at all. 
and I, I feel like not that we're going to be like, you know, the, the water that breaks the dam, but it could use some more attention. I feel like it could use some more, uh, could use some more spelunking by some brilliant people that, uh, that might, uh, might go reading this. So I'm excited to do it. Yeah. So how are we going to do it, Matt? Well, you know, just in Davos fingers fashion, kind of how we want. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, when we were doing our Song of Ice and Fire coverage, we were doing five chapters per episode. The, this is a little trickier. So we've settled on 40-ish pages per episode. 40, 50, wherever it lands. Yeah, kind of wherever like a good chapter break starts. We're not going to yeah. go like count one page, two page, three page, and stop at page 40 no matter where it is. That's we'll right. find a nice chapter break, and then we'll cover however many chapters fall within, like Scad said, 40 to 50 pages. Yeah. And actually, today's 38. So we're already getting late. At least 38. Giving it off. Uh, yeah, so we'll we'll do it much like we did before. Like Matt said, we'll do brief chapter summaries. We'll have spoiler-free discussion for the chapter, uh, and then we'll do a spoiler section, which uh, Matt mentioned Davos After Dark. We've slightly tweaked it to be Devi After Dark, uh, and that's uh, a character we'll get to know a little bit later. Much spoiler like alert. <laughs> I mean, well, spoiler alert, but also, I mean, we named our podcast Davos After Dark, or Davos Fingers. And he doesn't get introduced until the second book. Until the second book. So it's not really know, a spoiler to introduce new characters. Eh, it's like it's just yeah. a new character that's coming on. We don't know anything about the person, what they're going to do. But, but I will say we are still Song of Ice and Fire diehards. I would say, you know, snarky comment about, you know, giving up in the face of George's protest of not releasing. The second he releases, we'll go back to Winds of Winter. Probably. <laughs> Name imagine. of the wind on the shelf. On the shelf. Winds of and winter. Winds of winter. <laughs> Which is funny to say because Name of the Wind might be my favorite book, but uh, new content from George would, uh, yeah, we'd probably go right, just right back to it. Just uh, in case yeah. anyone was wondering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, another fun thing that we got going on is new and refreshed Patreon content. So for all our right. patrons, Look out for some of this stuff. And, and those of you who've been thinking about it, now might be the time. Uh, we're going back to some varied content where we will be releasing a special episode every month, kind of on a rotating basis, right? So first up and already released earlier this month was... Clerks 2, Matt's favorite Kevin Smith film. We had been doing the Kevin Smith films kind of, you know, uh, we took a little pause in the middle as we did some hangouts with Films Get Fingered. But uh, we've been doing the Kevin Smith films and uh, we skipped right over Jay and Bob Strike Back and went to Clerks 2. Uh, it was a lot of fun to talk about. I thought we covered some really good grounds. Uh, you know, even just talking, to, like usual, Matt, talking to you brought up new thoughts that I didn't have until I talked to you, um, which Same. happens almost every episode we, we do together. But mm -hmm. uh, a lot of fun. After that, though, uh, in March, we're going to do a Kalasar hangout. So we'll get together uh, some of our patrons and we'll hang out together and have discussion about various things um, which will be fun because uh that coincides with what happens every march i don't know matt what does a certain tournament that brings about much misery pain and woe a so of madness yeah That's right. who knows where the conversations can go as we bandy about that that will give us plenty of fodder to discuss and then after that, in April, we're going to start in what a, a project I'm kind of excited about. Me too. I don't know exactly how it'll go. We haven't, we haven't really laid all the groundwork for exactly the format and everything, but 
this is a, a Game of Thrones reread project. I kind of called it, we should start back, which is the opening line to the prologue of the Game of Thrones. Uh, premiering in April, it's been a long time, frankly, since Matt and I even read A Song of Ice and Fire. I mean, we put that down and picked up supplementary materials in like 2019, a while ago, right? I mean, yeah. a long time ago since we really reread it. We're going to reread it in quicker order, right? We're not going to do five chapters. It'll be more than five chapters per episode, but we'll cover it in less depth and more, more of a vein of kind of what's changed in our heads yeah. mm-hmm. about these chapters. What have we learned, right? What have these years taught us? That's right. And then the thing I'm most excited about, Matt, is what? Coming so in May. in May, brand new concept. I don't think it's ever been done before. Don't no. steal it from us, guys. Like, let us have this in May, okay? Don't like rush and do one in April. This like, out. yeah, like, come on. We are going to be doing a roast, celebrity roast style, the Jeff Ross type roasts that you see of Justin Bieber, Alec Baldwin, guys like that, of a Song of Ice and Fire characters, right? Where our patrons are going to be able to submit roast content and we are going to throw an online roast through Zoom or some other online platform where we can get together and just roast the crap out of a certain Song of Ice and Fire character. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be so fun. Especially with the character that we're starting with. A certain teeth-grinding, jaw-clenching king. Well, he thinks he's a king. That's right. He is the rightful king, Matt. And he'll sure keep that saying will it over and over roast. again. I'm sure it will. So join us for the roast of Stannis Baratheon in coming May. up in, Mar- in May. In May. Yeah. yeah. More details to come about how you can participate and, and how that works. But uh, join us for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Again, yeah, details still a little hazy where it will be released and all those things, but we'll figure it That's out. That's why we're pushing it out till May. <laughs> eh, that'll be the last thing we do. <laughs> but uh, then we we'll also... start back around. So when June comes back around, we'll go back to Films Get Fingered. Then July will be the song uh, Game of Thrones reread project. No, wait, Google Hangout. Then, the, yep. yeah, and then we'll just Correct. go and just rotate through those four kind of segments uh, every month. You also, though, may be wondering, uh, you guys skipped February, and we did skip February because we have a very special episode coming in February. It's going to be a public public release. We're going to talk to Grant Piercy, a good friend uh, who wrote a fantastic novel named Galahad. If you haven't read it yet, go get it. It's a lot of fun. Made me think a lot differently about the Knights of the Round Table. Um, and we're going to interview him about his work and talk about it together. Uh, that'll be a public release, but we're doing that in lieu of, of some Patreon content in, in February. So look forward to that. Yeah, that'll be so much fun. We've been talking to to Grant about getting him on the show for a while, and gladly yep. glad glad we can finally pull the trigger on it. So yeah. So diving into King Killer Chronicle, the King Killer Chronicle. Uh, we're going to keep it spoiler free until the end of the podcast for that Debbie After Dark segment. So that means we will not spoil future content in the series in the main portion of the podcast and savor that special section. So we'll warn you when that's coming. Jump off if you're not interested in spoilers. And here we go. Matt, how can they contact us? Well, we'd love to hear from you, especially we want to hear, you know, one of the things we're nervous about is if you even like this, this departure yeah. from the Song of Ice and Fire. So we'd love your feedback. And you know where to find us these days. Uh, uh, DavosFingers.com. We are DavosFingers at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at DavosFingers. We're on Facebook. 
And like we said, we encourage you to learn about our Patreon program and see if it's something you'd like to be a part of. Not only does it give you access to our special episodes, but it also gives you access to these episodes a few days earlier than the public. So hopefully that's another perk you can take advantage of. They come out on Friday, so you have them for the weekend, whereas the public release happens on a Monday. So uh, learn more about our Patreon program at patreon.com slash Davos Fingers. Yeah, and one of those things I was thinking that, you know, I have the uh, the summary for this prologue. Mm-hmm. Up, and it's one of my favorite pieces of writing ever. It's um, something that hooked me immediately. I've never been more hooked maybe by a piece of writing than I was with this prologue. And I thought instead of doing a summary for it, I would just read it. I'm going to sit but back, put myself on mute. <laughs> I decided not to do that. Ah, but I think, it. I know, but I think maybe I might do it as some, a little Patreon thing. Just give a dramatic monologue of of this opening bit. Uh, Thought it might be a little fun to do that. Anyway, here's a summary for the prologue. It was night again. The Waystone Inn lay in silence. And it was a silence of three parts. And like I told you, it's tempting to just read the whole thing because that's how it starts. And you can already tell it sounds really good. It's one of my favorite pages in all of literature. But I, I felt like it's a little long to just read. And I'm not sure I could do it justice on the main podcast. Anyway, here we go. The first silence described here is, I think, the silence most of us think of as silence. It's the obvious lack of sound. Nobody talking, no annoying recurring noises like dripping water or someone mindlessly moving about a space. No footfalls, no breathy intakes of air as you lift something and groan. Just absolute noiselessness. It isn't nefarious or harmful in any way. It's just maybe a little bit unsettling but it's not malicious. The second silence adds to that first silence, and it's a more purposeful one. Two men huddled together in a quiet corner intent on making no noise. They could easily make noise, but they're trying not to. These are not seemingly joyful men, at least not in this moment, and perhaps they indicate something about the time or the place they are in that's unsettling. They do not want to disturb the silence. It feels intentional. And it adds weight to that initial silence. The third silence is very hard to explain. The author said it's hard to notice. To me, it represents the silence of things that serve their purpose well, but are no longer needed. The heavy black stone hearth with an expired fire. The wooden floor with no feet to make it creak. The barrels distributing no drink to customers. And the cloth, seemingly at work, moving about the counter, continuing to buff but really offering no additional cleanliness or shine. Its work is done. And so is the man doing the polishing. He's done. These things are no longer needed. They're finished, at least for now. And they are at rest. The man himself, we should note, seems special. True red hair, and he moves with purpose and certainty. His eyes dark, perhaps from the weariness of the world, and they are distant also, maybe for the same reason. And it ends like this. The waystone was his, just as the third silence was his. This was appropriate, as it was the greatest silence of the three. Wrapping the others in silence, it was deep and wide as autumn's onion. It was heavy as a great river smooth stone. It was the patient cut flower sound of a man who was waiting to die. And that is the end of the program. Absolutely lovely. 
lovely retelling, lovely writing. Yeah. Uh, I agree. It's got to be one of the most gripping, thought-provoking prologues. Bless you. Man, that one came at just the right time. Yeah. Didn't even time to mute it. Uh, That I've read, for sure. Do you think, like, Rothfuss wrote that very first? That he just, like, sat down and was just like... Ooh, I'm onto something here. You know, it's a good question, Matt. And it's the kind of question that highlights where we are with this book. We don't have, I don't know. That that's lore that like we might know with George. We know the story of uh finding the wolf pups and the stag, right? Like we just kind of knew that story from the story being old, and we just kind of had read it and knew it from blogs and things. I don't know a lot about the origins of this. I don't know the story about this. It might be that he finished this last. I really don't know. It's a great question. Um, I would think, I would think that this, um, I would think that Rothfuss had a very good idea of who Quoth was and what he was like and the fact that who he is has to be embodied in this inn mm-hmm. and the state and, and the place he is in his life has to be embodied in this inn. And so maybe he came back to the idea of writing this whole thing later but I think he understood that relationship early. Sure. Yeah. And I want to highlight some of the language, uh, maybe the most, um, the, the part I relate to the most, at least. The, two parts. One part, and it's the, that very last part, the patient cut flower sound of a man who is waiting to die. When you buy someone flowers, you're buying them death. Sure. The flowers have been cut. They're dying. Their end is known. They're not going mm-hmm. to live. They're not sucking life out of the ground anymore. They're not doing anything with the sun's rays to continue their lives. They're dying. I've always thought that it's weird. You're buying someone something destined to just wither and die. And they're pretty for the moment. Um, but we have a, you know, red-petaled hair of Quoth, very bright. Probably hints that he's a special man, that he moves with certainty. But his best days, they're behind him. Like a flower in a vase, he's just slowly dying. He's no longer useful. That third silence that's his, it implies that he's done his work and he's just resigned to death. Will he last a week or a month or a year? Who knows? But the beauty that he was, the wonder he had, that's going to pass. That's certain. It's cut flower. It's dead. He's been separated from whatever it is that gave him life, right? And I, for the first two, three years after I read this, I was like, cut flower. Like, it doesn't make any sound cutting a flower. What is that? The cut flower sound. Oh, the cut flower makes no sound. It's not growing. It's not doing anything. It's just sitting there dying. Right. That's, that's my, probably my favorite part of the whole prologue is that cut flower sound of a man who's waiting to die. Yeah, it's really beautiful. There's imagery like that throughout just even these first four chapters that are really lovely to read. I took some notes on other ones that we'll definitely call out here. Um, and when it, with it talking about his determination and everything and kind of that confident way that he moves about mm. that the silence is, is of someone who can do more, but for whatever reason is not. Mm-hmm. And that lends kind of a tragic melancholic feel to, to this prologue. Yeah. Of you feel someone that has this uh, 
potential or ability to be a very electric personality, but for whatever reason is suppressing that. Yeah. And that and suppression you, is a, is a certain amount of silence. And it absolutely is suppression because this is a young man. We don't know that here, but we do know it throughout the rest of the episode. So it's not really spoiling anything. We get told that this is a, a young man. This is not a 60 year old person whose life is or 70 or 80 or any of that. It, he's young. And I don't remember exactly when, whether, when we get the age, but he's young. And Too young to be an innkeeper, sure. I think. Too is young to be an innkeeper is one yeah. of the things they say for sure. And so he's either he's suppressing it or he, it has been suppressed, one of the two. But it's certainly not normal for someone of his age and what should be youthfulness. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And Matt, one, one part that I thought maybe you'd, you would latch on to that I didn't really cover uh, in my summary. But no, of course there was no music. Mm-hmm. And I think this lends to the somberness of the scene in the world and this place, you know, in general. It feels like it's a place that's maybe like too tired for music. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Too tired for music. Yeah. Music for me is it makes me feel. Mm-hmm. And I don't even say it makes me feel some, it makes me just feel period. Yeah. yeah. I feel sad. I feel energized. I feel joy. I feel angry. When I listen to music, I feel something and that's why I love music. Mm-hmm. And um, so that there's, there's a silence, not only in a lack of music, but in perhaps that lack of a feeling, a tiredness, like you said. So, and, and we're used to, you know, I can speak to the D and D crew maybe a little bit here, but like we're used to, you start at an inn and there's music playing. Yeah, there's the adventure a, kicks off. A lute or something. Yeah, exactly. Something. Some performer in the corner singing or playing. Yeah, a lute or something. Uh, an inn with a lack of music means something to us. Mm-hmm. You know, based on the other stories we've read. Um, you know, much like George does, he wants us to feel like this is different. I think, um, you know, and, and um, you know, not to spoil too much, but music means, uh, music means a lot to this person. Perhaps that's a spoiler. I won't go into too much depth, but the fact that there isn't any is meaningful, right? We'll get into that more later. Oh, show. Oh, show. Um, you know, this thing is, the, the prologue is only 350 words. The prologue I wrote, Matt, in my summary was 400. So, so my 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 prologue summary was longer than the prologue itself. I was going to say you uh, talking about your decision to not read the whole prologue <laughs> probably took as long yeah. as if you just read it. Yeah, I just it just felt it just felt wrong to do it. I don't know why, but that's um, totally cool. I'd look forward anyway. to hearing it. Um, do you have anything else for the the prologue? No, I do not. A beautiful piece of writing. Um, yeah. Even you know, like if anybody's listening here and they're maybe not going to go on the journey, just at least go Google and read this prologue. It's fantastic. It's so good. I will take pictures of the pages and post them if you are I mean, that serious about not reading the book. <laughs> you need to really read good. this prologue. Yeah. All right. Do you want to go to that chapter one? Let's do the it. Official yep. beginning of the story. 
chapter one a A place place for demons for demons it's nine o'clock on a felling night the regular regular crowd shuffles in in and that regular crowd is five people to the waystone in in this case five is a crowd and one of them old Cobb, is regaling the rest with stories of the legendary taborlin the great Graham, Jake, and Shep are used to the stories and listen contentedly as they blow on their hot soup. But the young Smith's Prentice, or the young Smith Prentice boy, he's a little more engaged. On they speak about the mysteriously evil Chandrian. Taborlin's ability to command obedience of all things simply by knowing their names. And the exchange rate for kindness to a tinker. Uh, when all of a sudden Carter bangs into the dining room. He's covered in blood, his clothes ragged and torn, and he's carrying something wrapped in an old saddle blanket that looks like an awkward tangle of kindling sticks. He says he's fine, but he's obviously not fine. When someone says, I'm fine, as often as Carter does, you know they're usually not fine. I told you for months now, you can't go out alone, chastises old Cobb, assuming that it was thieves or other scallywags that roughed up their friend and killed Nelly cart his gentle horse boy were they wrong onto the table carter sets his wrapped bundle and reveals a horror a spider creature as large as a wagon wheel black as slate with no eyes and no mouth with a hard as stone body and razor sharp legs scrail the innkeep identifies the creature knowingly it's the first time Coat the innkeep has spoken up tonight, and it takes the others by surprise. Uh, noting the surprise, Coat walks it back a bit, claiming that he's just heard about them, but he's never seen them himself. They try to break the legs of the dead creature and can't, uh, and then they note the cracks on its stone-hard body, and Carter reveals that it only died because Nellie fell on it, hence the cracks from the smushing. It's a demon, the patrons wonder, and Coat sets out to test that hypothesis with a piece of iron, just a little iron coin, noting that iron kills demons. The touch of the iron on the corpse causes it to loudly crack, filling the room with the smell of burning. I guess that settles it, or does it? Uh, After the patrons have left for the night with their corpse in tow, Coat methodically cleans the inn, even though it really doesn't need it, and returns to his sparsely decorated bedroom. He's soon joined by Bast, the dark and charming young man who calls him Reshi and Master, and who's brought him an evening meal. Their conversation goes quickly from Bast's lessons, which he didn't do. He was too enamored with a lovely young lady, to what had transpired that night. And how it's a wonder that Carter lived and the Skraling died, and how there was only one Skraling to begin with. They obviously know much more than what Coat had originally let on to knowing, and Bast feels a certain sense of responsibility in helping the otherwise defenseless villagers against this new threat. Uh, but Coat assures him that he helped the priest dispose of the corpse in the proper way. It was all done by burning, and there's a whole process. So what else can they do other than that? So that's it as far as the excitement goes at the Wayside Inn. And Coat feels guilty for keeping Bass there with him. There's just not a lot going on, and he feels Bass's talents and potential is wasted here at this inn. But Bast is dedicated and loyal, declaring, who else would teach me? and makes his exit to go study 
in theory, leaving Coat again to his thoughts. Uh, This is a long chapter, but we're ending it here. The next day at the inn, the topic of the previous night's horror was skirted. Uh, and instead they bandy about news of the war and what it means for their town. There's increased crime on the roads. There's inflation from the much less frequent traders and maybe even a possible levy tax, another one to fund the war effort. It all leads Scad to a rather grim evening. And that's the end of chapter one. Yeah, it's funny. <clears throat> I love the way Rothfuss ends this chapter because uh, we've just had a supernatural experience, the likes of which none of these five people have ever seen before. And the next night, they're just talking about taxes and, <laughs> you know, where they might get another horse or, like, when the next trader might come through town. Right. And he, he makes a note in the text of kind of saying, like, oh, well, they all know not to try to convince anybody of anything else. They'd just be called crazy. And, you know, I think it's a... It's a hard thing to put your finger on, but it feels like Rothfuss just kind of has a, a real sense of this community and these people and what they're about and how they believe and how they think. That is, it feels lived in, you know? It feels real. Mm-hmm. They know they know to just move on. Uh, it says something, something in the text about, like, demon stories don't happen here. They happen, they're part of stories, you know? Like, they happen with kings and, and other people. There are no demons here that's silly my friend doesn't kill them in the street they get killed in legends and, and, and tales uh and Rothfuss just has a very good understanding of you know these types of people and how they yeah how these small communities work right yeah, that exactly even when things happen everyone has their place you have certain things that you talk about you yes. have certain things that you complain about your day goes a certain way people yeah. do certain jobs Uh, They even talk about how the Prentice boy, even though the Prentice boy was bigger than everybody else there, will continue to be called the Prentice boy forever until he finally punches someone in the face for calling him the Prentice boy. Then something might change, you know? Yeah, it's it's a simpler. I mean, their friend comes in bloodied, nearly dying, and they take a moment to respect the horse that died. Because mm-hmm. they all know how important a horse is in their community. In the community, They're, it's, to it's his a job. huge. It's just a huge. Well, how are you going to do your life. job if you don't have yeah, a horse? How, oh my god, such a great horse! I'm so sorry. The guy's bleeding to death, <laughs> almost. And they're taking like a moment of silence for the horse. It's just a good. You'll see it throughout the series. Pat just has a Patrick just has a fantastic hold on mm-hmm. everyone he's writing, and it's brilliant. Book recommendation for everybody, speaking of these small communities and how these work, this resonated very well with me. I just read a book called Bear Town by Frederick mm. Backman, the same guy that wrote uh, Man Called Otto. Is that the name of it? That just got made oh, into the, a movie? The Hanks movie, yeah. Yeah, the Tom Hanks movie. Um, it's about a small community in Sweden whose life revolves around the local junior hockey team and okay. how they do. and how they respond to a a very big shakeup in the community. Um, Very fascinating how a community will rally around what's comfortable and normal rather than what's dangerous or upsetting or even correct. Yeah. Yeah. In in the case of Beartown, what's right. Uh, Strong recommend that you pick up that book. Blood Rider Lindsay recommended it to me. I was going to say, thank you, Lindsay. 
Um, and uh, I, I, you know, I'm reading a lot of Star Wars, we're reading this right now, all that stuff. So I thought, you know, I'll just pick this up and kind of read it when I have a few minutes here and there. Read it in four days. Nice. <laughs> read straight through That's it. That's the best. That's amazing. The best. Amazing. So uh, hard recommend on that one. And kind of that same feel, this uh, town where you are expected to be and act and think and talk a certain way. And anything else, even as upsetting as this, you just put it under the rug. Got to. Well, what else are you going to do? They're going to show up again. You got to keep living your life. Got to, you know. Got to eat. Yeah. Got to keep sowing the field. Got to keep pounding the iron. Man, I wish I would have bought some salt the last some time salt? the dude yeah. came through town. Because <laughs> it's freaking expensive. Yeah. The, the people... We've hit it maybe hard enough already, but old Cobb is a favorite of mine. Uh, you can just you can just picture him. Everybody knows a guy like old Cobb. Mm-hmm. Just wants to tell, thinks he's always right. Just tells the stories. Listen to me, I'm more important. But you know he's got a good heart in there. It's just kind of you know he's and that speaks yeah, he's, to he's just a microcosm Cobb. of all of this. Of yeah, the community. He tells yeah. the stories, and the yeah. three guys just listen, and yeah. they've heard the stories a million times, and it doesn't matter because that's yeah. just what happens at the end. Is he yeah. just tells the stories and they listen? Uh, this was one of the writing the notes of a sentence that I loved. Old Cobb tucked away his bowl of stew. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say? I with do. The, with the predatory efficiency of a lifetime bachelor. Yes. Oh my so gosh. That it's is so good, Rob. Brilliant. It's so good. It's the so good. Predatory efficiency of predatory a lifetime bachelor. He just wants to get back to his story, man. Just get the food in there, do its job. Let me get to my story. No time for talking. No, There's no, no one to talk to for a lifetime yeah, for bachelor. A lifetime bachelor. Right? Yeah, just so let's get just... this done. Yeah. That's no, great. Uh there is a note, uh, they talk about tinkers uh, mm-hmm. or traders that kind of wander from wander all over the road to town to town and trade and sell and fix they're things. They're like a, yeah, they're like a, a traveling general store. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's a good, good description. Yeah. Slash handyman. And it notes that, uh, I think it says that the coat hasn't interjected in all the months he's been there into their stories. But here he interjects to make sure they get the tinker rhyme right. And uh, later, and it's within this episode, but later, you know, in, in this episode, he interjects, uh, or, or he, he, uh, he falls down, right? And, and pretends to be hurt. And uh, here he pretends to be embarrassed. I think he interjected on purpose here to make sure that they understood the way to treat tinkers properly because it's mm-hmm. very important to him. Small thing. Which is interesting. Worth, yeah. worth mentioning because tinkers are important to him. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's something to kind of keep in that back pocket as we yep. go through this story. Absolutely. Um, do you know what a felling night is? No. Me neither. No. There's a segment I have. Uh, I've got a vocabulary segment. I've got, a, I don't know what to name them yet. We'll, we'll work through this, right? We'll workshop it a little bit, but there's vocabulary in this story that is not common that we don't know. There's also like, frankly, Matt, like if I have one complaint about this series, the maps are fucking horrible. I have no idea where the- I have that same note too. What a waste of a map. It helps 0%. Zero people. You don't know where anything is. It's got like five points on the map. None of them have anything to do with anything we've read, at least these first four chapters. Yeah. 
I mean, I think you can, you can, if you're really looking and I've tried a little to, you know, to be a good podcast, I've tried a little to look and try to learn about like kind of where I think they might be. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but the map is garbage. And I, it's my, it's my biggest complaint. It's always been my biggest complaint about the series and maybe a little biased coming from the great maps that we have with, with the song of ice and fire. But yeah. We're used to some great ones. We don't know where any of this shit is like nothing, almost nothing happens in the major. Well, at least yet happens in the major towns. And so you don't know where anything is. It's a, it's a con and it's not just a complaint early in the book. This happens throughout the series and it's annoying. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yep. Um, can we talk about the story a little bit? I, I made a, I made a Twitter post about George and the introduction of the others and how it's right there in the prologue immediately setting the reader at edge and what is this and who are they and what will happen next. And I feel like Rothfuss does something a little bit similar here with, with you know, this scrailing that comes in. Like, what is this thing? All of a sudden, what is it? And then, like we said, they just kind of walk away from it and they ignore it and we don't know anything about it for a little bit, right? A little bit. <laughs> for a very little bit, I suppose. But with a skin, we later in the episode we'll get there, but we don't get much still, right? Sure. Yep. And uh kind of interesting. You get most of what you know from tales, not from any sort of real experiences, right? Yeah, same with the Chandrian too, that yes, are presented Chandrian as this also. great evil. Yep. That uh it this is something that George does very well in his books too. We don't get any sort of setup. Yeah. Of like, here's here's where this here's a good jumping off point for this story. And let me catch up before we go. This yeah. is the people, this is the culture, this is the da da da. Nope. Just throw you yeah. right in. And we're gonna throw around names like Chandrian and Taborlin and Telu and Scrail, and you just figure it out as you go. Yeah. So, and I love and, that. I love when that happens, actually. And yeah, it's good, uh, but also it's it's slightly different the way. Rothfuss does it too you're just getting it through stories kind of like old man right like you don't see them like you do in the prologue of song of ice and fire where you like experience them immediately most of it's through stories mm-hmm. the chandering especially it's like what are they well it's just tales we don't you know, songs don't know. that kids sing yeah exactly we'll ring around that. the rosies yep dude i have the same note Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. I like just how the silence follows through in this chapter. Um, in this case, the silence of coat. And mm. they talk about if not for the silence, it's unlikely anyone would have heard him. Yes. Uh, that's on a couple levels. First, just the general volume level of the wayside in the, phys- mm-hmm. the could we call it physical silence? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just no sound, but also that idea that when someone who doesn't speak much all of a sudden speaks silent bob syndrome you can't ignore that right yeah yeah Yeah. talk about that with hockey players and i imagine other athletes too there's those leaders that just go out and lead by example and they don't say much maybe in the locker room or on the sideline but when they do you listen up because you know it's well thought out and it's something they've been chewing on for a while so I just like how that silence follows through into this first chapter and the different levels of it. It's harder to hide in silence. It's true. There's a, I'll screw it up because I'm not 
a huge baseball guy, but I remember there's a story about Ichiro. You know Ichiro? Mm-hmm. Uh, Suzuki. Suzuki, yeah. Uh, he's a pretty quiet guy, but, you know, like, he's great. Makes the All-Star game every year. And apparently, apparently, and I'll screw it up, but he gives this, like, rousing, like, let's go fuck him up speech at every All-Star game, even though he's, like, a <laughs> quiet guy, right? It's, like, this kind of big galvanizing moment for the American League players. Uh, I feel like I should have reviewed that story before I shared that. Yeah. Anyway. It's the same idea. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. yeah. It uh, soon became obvious the polishing was only an excuse to touch and hold. Mm-hmm. The guy with some sensory things he needs to always be doing and touching and feeling. And... Um. Yeah, that's that's maybe something for for Debbie after dark. Um, but yeah, I think he's he's a man that uh, is used to doing a lot with his hands. Uh, it seems like, and that maybe calms and comforts him. Right? This is unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's also. I think it says later in the chapter when he's talking to Bast. Just tell him, you know, he's talking about how he stitched stitched up Carter, right? His wounds. And he's like, tell him my dad was part of a traveling caravan and he taught me how to do that because they're going to ask later, right? He's he's worried about people being like, innkeeper? Really? Yeah. You know? Usually people want to, human nature is look at how smart I am, right? Look at how capable I am we tend to want to show off a little bit. He's yeah. like, mm, I'm going to distance myself from as much knowledge as I can. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's definitely, um, he's in an inter- interesting place where it seems like he does not want to be known. Mm-hmm. And yet we'll get some other behaviors that contradict that. Yeah, the, the tragic part of all of this is he could really probably do some good in this tired community with the knowledge that he seems to possess on a few different levels. But yeah, for whatever reason, he feels or he knows or he can't. It's interesting the way you put that because part of him very much wants to, mm-hmm. to be involved. He says uh, at some point, he says, Anything would be nice. He, he, he's referring to, maybe I should have bought the scrail from Carter and posted it on the wall. We could get some business. And Bast is disgusted by this, right? He's like, are you crazy? You can't do that. But he's like, anything would be nice. You yeah, he says. Phrase, anything would be nice. Yeah, he goes business and busyness. Mm-hmm. Just something. Yeah. Anything would be nice. This is a deeply dissatisfied human. And while he's decided to do nothing, like you say, he, he's battling. It feels to me like he's battling inside about doing nothing and doing something. Like maybe at all times. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You have, you have anything about Bast? Got any? He seems fun. He seems yeah. like something, something Coat needs. He needs him. Yeah. Uh, he needs someone to, with energetic youthfulness who's going to come at him with just straight up, the ladies are hot, man, and they get in the way of my studies. That's just how this is. 
keeps keeps them young a little bit, maybe. Right. Yeah. And and yeah. Coke can't help but smile. Ironically. Uh, yep. I think it's a I think it's a nice relationship. Yeah. And obviously incredibly devoted to Coke. Reshi which is cool. calls him, which I think is like a teacher kind of thing. Mentor. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very similar to a passage in the Bible for our Bible readers. Ooh. Jesus is he's with his disciples or his apostles, and um, a lot of people are abandoning Jesus because the things that he's teaching them are sometimes hard to hear. He's asking them to sacrifice a lot, uh, and Peter and others stay. And Jesus asks Peter, "Aren't you gonna? Are you gonna go too?" And the guys and Peter says, "Where would we go?" Thou hast the words of eternal life. It's kind of that Anyone same else? idea of yeah. who else am I going to turn to? Yeah. You've got what I need, man. Yeah. So if I didn't know any better, maybe I could just go out and fish or something. But dude, I know I can't go anywhere else now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's true. Uh, he seems to know stuff, you know, about the squirrel specifically. He, he says, you can't just let them muddle through this on their own. Um, there's something apparently very specific you have to do to deal with, with dead scrail. Um, we'll get more into that maybe in Debbie after dark, but, um, <laughs> coach says, uh, they did everything right by accident or right. I paraphrase that. I didn't get exactly mm-hmm. right. But, um, you know, there's apparently a, a path you have to take to do this the correct way. And Bast knows it. Uh, Bast is, Seems clever, seems like he's there to learn, but also seems like he's got maybe a lot to offer too. Right. Uh, you know, Reshi is a, a mentor term, but sometimes they feel almost like they're talking as equals to me. For sure. Yep. And the thing that Reshi has is he's got a slyness to him where yeah. he's smart, but he also understands people. And yeah. there's lots of people out there where you have to deal with them, where you can, I don't want to say manipulate, but you can kind of direct someone, but they're a little hard headed and you kind of have to help direct them by making them think that the direction they need to go is their idea. Yes. You know what I mean? Inception. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I feel like maybe Coat did a little bit of that with, with the disposal of the scrail is just yes. prodding things in different ways yeah. that would just lead them to go, oh, oh maybe we should use maybe this. The, maybe the priest and... knows. What's the yeah. r- roan? What's the tree? Roan? Roan? Roan. Oh, yeah. Rowan. Rowan. We should do yeah, that. Yeah, 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 that. We should yeah, do that. Yeah. 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 Pit, is it six feet? Oh, no, 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 no. Ten, you're right. No, yeah, it's ten. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of prodding them. You got to make it feel like it was their idea for it to work. I don't know if this is a word of the day component, um, but just some vocabulary quick. Uh, there are some terms in here that get thrown around. Spam. I haven't seen him in two spam. For whatever reason, Rothfuss decided to not go metric with their day system. A span is 11 days. Come on. 11? 11 well, I guess we days. need seven, so it's not a whole lot better. Sevens are, are normal. 11 is their normal. So a span is 11 days. A shim, it's, all, it's also it's a derogatory term for a certain portion of the people in this story, but it's also the lowest form of currency. 
hang on. 11 shims make a drab, but ten, the rest of them is the rest of it is metric. 10 drabs make a jot, 10 jots a talent, 10 talents a gold mark. So a shim is thing that he breaks the scrail with that he pushes against him, that iron shim. It's the lowest form of currency, essentially. An I mean, there probably are thing. lower things like a fingernail, yeah. but like. That's Regularly what true. does the job on the scrail is the lowest form of currency. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it feels like, I mean, I think it's one of them point. says uh, the word of God, uh, iron and fire, right? True iron and cold fire, or something like that. So um, remember your currency. There will be a test at the end of the podcast. <laughs> and no, remember the things that kill demons, right? Even though God. coat talking to Bast says this is not a demon, though it's probably, I think Bast says it's probably best they think it is, the scrail. So we don't know what they are, but- A little actually moment by coat. Actually. Actually. Uh, so they are not demons, but they do seem bad, and they think it's best if the people think they're demons. Might as well consider it a demon, yep. Which also implies maybe there are demons. More coming there, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. We've been on this chapter for a long time, but I- I feel like there's at least one more thing we need to talk about. It's a long effing chapter. It's a long chapter. It's also, I think, the most important chapter in this in this cover we're doing. The thrice locked box in Coates' room that uh, he makes a point of having four or five paragraphs on this thing. Coates' eyes won't fall on it. He tries to deliberately avoid it, and when he sees it and his eyes actually rest upon it. He gets almost like visibly older and more weary, right? And is a lock, there, there's a lock of iron, a lock of copper, and a lock that could not be seen on this box. And uh, we don't know what it means, but it seems important. And I just thought we should bring it up before we move on. That's all. Yeah, and interesting that in a sparsely decorated room like his room, he chooses to have it in there, but obviously he doesn't want to see it. So that's interesting to me that it's not like, if I don't want to see something, maybe I'll take it out back and bury it in the ground or something, you know, put it in the yeah. basement, put it up in the attic, not keep it in my bedroom. So it's obviously something that he wants to keep. He wants to know where it is, I think. Yeah. It, it either has tremendous value or tremendous importance. Correct. They're not exactly the same. Correct, but um, but yeah, it, it it seems like it's important to him, even though he doesn't like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe I'm trying to think of a comparison of something. Yeah, it's important. Ashes, to me, but maybe? I don't want to see it. Mm. Ashes of a loved one, maybe. Maybe I don't have that, yeah. but um, <sighs> yeah, dance with dragons. My bank account. <laughs> I want to always know it's there, but I don't necessarily want to look at the details of it. Uh. <laughs> yeah, hard to hard to come up with a comparison, but I think that serves its purpose, right? We're we're saying like this is a weird thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's made of. I think it says in the text a complete a very rare wood. Like it's Super very valuable. Expensive. It's mm. very expensive. I think it says having a fingernails worth would be worth gold, and he has a whole chest of it. Yeah. Now the three locks are they like? on the outside like a lock lock and then a lock yeah. on the outside or is it like there's one lock and then you open the 
what the first lock is securing, and then there's another lock within there that you have to unlock and open there. I'll say I don't think I don't think the text we have in these chapters tells us. Right. And also the wiki doesn't tell us. There might be more that's not in the wiki that we get later, but um, more in more in Debbie After Dark. But I think we don't know much about this. Yeah. I think it's it's being held and that's on to purposeful. For the future. Yeah. yeah. Hey, did we mention the third book's not out yet, guys? Mm. That's on brand for us. It's on brand. All right. <laughs> I, I, last thing before we move, one more thing before we move on. Okay. Crazy Martin trying to dig a well inside his house for years. It's what we all, we all have essentially a well inside our house, right? Bringing water up from the ground. Mm-hmm. He's, just, he's just a forward thinker. He's just ahead of his time. He just wants a sink, guys. He just wants a sink. He just wants water in his house. Or a friggin' toilet. They think he's crazy. He's just a, you know, he's just smarter than everyone else. Spoiler alert, time travel exists in the King Killer Chronicle universe. At least for Crazy Martin. For Crazy Martin. Seems that way. (laughs) All right, chapter two. You got anything else for chapter one? Chapter two. Mm -hmm. Beautiful day. You too. It was a perfect autumn day when Chronicler was robbed on the road. The half dozen men, ex-soldiers all, were polite enough as they commandeered his horse, the new shirt he'd just purchased, a blanket, cloak, other bits of clothing, food, supplies, trinkets. They did leave him with one blanket, some stale food, his riding supplies, thankfully, because that's his very likelihood, uh, a couple pennies to buy dinner that night and even his necklace with the iron pendant on it. They bid their adieu in a genteel fashion, and Chronicler set out to make it to Abbott's Ford on foot by dark, where he was hoping to buy a new horse. Because Chronicler is smart. As the bandits moved out of sight, Chronicler sets to refill his own personal coffers, at least the coffers that people would see, gets into the lining of his boots. He's got coins hidden in there. He's got some hidden in layers of clothing. There's even some money baked in to a stale piece of bread. Brilliant idea. Uh, And he takes enough money out of each of those little hiding places and puts it in his purse, just enough that future bandits wouldn't search too thoroughly for more. It's a crappy way to live, but here it is. All of this was really a minor inconvenience, he thought. He could still easily buy that other horse uh, as he makes his way to Scarpy and Treya. He was a little startled. He had to go to the bathroom. So he's off and goes off in the woods. And he's a little startled by what turns out as he sees it to be a crow beating its wings from the underbrush and taking flight into the air. But as he brushed off strands of spider webs clinging to his face, he found himself feeling remarkably lighthearted on this beautiful day. Lovely day. It's a beautiful Lovely day. day. Lovely day. Lovely day. I'm just I'm feeling the music. You're, you're just riffing. All right. Prologue's not feeling it. I'm feeling it, though. <laughs> what an optimist, I guess, first of all. Uh, yeah. You know, this guy. Um, it almost felt like like a Monty Python scene. Like this one, just of like a really nice robbery. Yeah, it it is. So it's maybe my favorite robbery ever. So the Chronicle feels... <laughs> comfortable bargaining from the start right with these outlaws he's like ah well you wouldn't really want that my horse isn't that bad. like 
he's bargaining with people that are, you know, robbing him. It's pretty hilarious. Mm-hmm. They lay everything down. They hide nothing. It's very efficient. Um, you know, they ask him, just, just hop down. We'll take care of this. We'll be done very fast. They kind of, they leave things they don't need. They leave him his livelihood. Like you said, they make um, him trade out certain things. Like, yeah, they, yeah. They take one of his blankets, but they leave him a worse cloak. version. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One, a guy even apologizes. He's like, ah, oh, I'd leave him my lighter. Is a lighter? Something like that. I'd leave him it's my tinder, t- box. tinder box. Yeah. I'd leave him my tinder box, but I, I lost mine. Oh, I'm so sorry to do that to you. Almost. BS. Right? Like, I call BS on that. No, maybe, maybe, maybe. But but he's at least like there's criminals don't even have to make that effort. They don't have no, to. They don't. He's no, still he's at least don't. making the effort. Right. It's very genteel. This whole operation. They even repack for him. They're like, all right, well, let's put your stuff back in. You know that we're not taking. Got a lot and more they, room now. They leave him some beef jerky, you know. They, it's it's this is nice. It's good. And in turn, the crocker is like, "Hey, the alcohol you took, don't drink it, man. Like it, it'll make you sick." Like they're very, they're just very polite to each other. It's it's nice. It's, Which I would be nice. drink that sucker, drink it, drink yeah. it, you son of a. <laughs> Probably you and me both. So that's the first thing is that it's just a such a pleasant robbery to read. And yeah. again, I'd say it just kind of like if I were to write a scene like that, it would be like all the robberies you've ever read. But Rothfuss has just like this different way of making this feel real and lived in. These are just they're just dudes. They're taking the stuff they need. They don't mm-hmm. want to hurt anybody really. You know, like it just fits. It feels real. And it and feels it, it almost feels like an old Western movie, like a train robbery, yeah, you know, and you got bit. the polite cowboy bandits that are like, thank you, ma'am, as they you, rob ma'am. them and everything. Yep. And so that just leads, we, we're familiar with those stories too. And so this yeah. just feels like very like, oh yeah, I get it. Yeah. So the other you thing can I see think, that other influence. The other thing I, thing I think this is trying to do is just give us an introduction to the Chronicler, right? The yep. Chronicler is he's an intelligent guy. He gets how this works. He's playing along. He knows how to hide his stuff so it won't get found. The rye bread thing is amazing. Never would have thought of that myself. Good job, Rothfuss, for putting that in. Very smart. Mm -hmm. I just feel like it's meant to be a character introduction about this man that can take hardship and just be okay with it. And also be smart enough to look forward to it and overcome it. Yeah, stay ahead of the game a bit while still playing the game. Exactly. He is, this dude is no fool. And I think that's what, maybe what, what Rothfuss is trying to do with this, with this section. Yeah, good call. I think so too. I uh, totally have experience with this living in Brazil. I did, Mm. we did, we would do this exact same thing with our money. Oh, you'd hide things in different places? Yeah, you'd always want to keep some money on you. Yeah, if you got mugs, you oh, could give man, them you got, something and you not got get hurt. Me. Good job. Here's my ten hay eyes. Oh, there you go. Dang it! I really Dang need it. that. We even had some. Some of us had belts that had a little zipper inside, uh-huh, and you yeah. could fold up bills and put it in your belt. But socks were a good place to put them too. Like you know, inside your tie, you could put money in there. Yeah, as a missionary, you wore ties all the time. So. The hard streets, the hard streets of Brazil. There was one street in particular in one place that was... Stay away from that one. Yeah, those were stories I did not tell my mother until after I'd come home because she would have come to Brazil and got me if I would have told them while I was... <laughs> told her them while I was there. 
Do you, remember the, <laughs> do you remember the ties we had at our company? What was that? What did they say inside? It was, um, I forgot. No, they said, uh, I still have some of them. Oh, me too. They said, remove before sex. Oh, yeah. And then. It's a good idea. At the Yeah. The, in the fat part of the tie, everybody, you look on the back side and you'd have to like fold the fabric down. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it would say, remove before sex. Oh, and then. And the- on yeah, the yeah. smaller, thinner part of the tie, if you did the same thing, it would say dot, 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 or, or not. not. K-O-N. Yeah. Yes, I remember now. Yeah. Company was cool. Is. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you still worked there. Kind of. Is. It's, yeah. Anyway. We're in an interesting spot. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, anything else on this on this section here? Um, I don't think this is getting too ahead of the game, but, uh, you know, brushing away invisible strands of spider web seems very telling. Felt so. interesting, didn't it? Yeah. I didn't know whether he was lending something there or do these scrail spider Do they things, produce web? Do they produce web or mushroom web? Because he said he heard something rustling in the underbrush yeah. and then he saw a crow flying away. Crows, I mean, yeah, sometimes they land on the ground to eat yeah. carcass or something. But yeah. I feel like they would have been more up in a tree. Yeah, what I'm saying is I think it was a scrail in the ground. Yeah. And somehow the scrail decided not to attack him or whatever. But. Yeah, decided is an interesting word, but I'm, I'm picking up what you're laying down. Why include that whole scene period if it's just a crow? It seems a weird thing to include if it's just a crow. Why we don't okay? <laughs> oh, look, lighthearted fun with being scared while you pee. I don't doesn't add much. Feels like he wants us to think it's a scrail, mm-hmm. but also that implies some interesting things about the scrail that uh, we don't we don't need to spend any time on. I guess. But anyway, overall, a fun chapter. Yeah, uh, lighthearted fun. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting. Like like you look at uh, a song of ice and fire. What's happening? Overall, is very reminiscent of maybe the Riverlands in yeah. Clash of or uh, Storm of Swords and those areas. Very dangerous to be out walking around. Um, you're going to get robbed. Ex soldiers are a major danger. Yeah. Um, but this one that that's very bleak. It's hard to read those chapters sometimes because it's so bleak. This is like the same situation, but somehow you leave this chapter smiling. No, yeah, no, it feels more Duncan Eggy, right? That's true. Yeah. It's got more right? of an like, upbeat. There's there's some sunshine feel. in this yeah. scene somehow. Right. Yeah. Well, Anyways. it is time to thank our patrons, which, you know, Matt, we haven't done in a long time. I haven't done I in a while. Back, I felt really bad because we're supposed to do it every other episode. We thank all of our dirty cab driver level and up patrons, supposedly every other episode. And we'll go ahead and dive in. We have a new one uh, this month, Crispy. And Chris, yep. I'll, reach, I'll reach out for your code name if you have one uh, in the next month. But Crispy, a uh, recent patron. Yep. Also an enemy spy, master of dungeons and lord of dragons. Lindsay F. Little Wolf Bird. The heir of House Tyrell. This one. Marcus P. The bard of legends, Aaron M. Gib. Ghost Chase Killer. Bobby S. And of course, Lady Fatas Red. Fatas Red. Fatas Red. (laughs) 
Then we got our beach, our, be- our beach around, our reach around level patron scab. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, that to would... Mr. J, the bear and the maiden fair. Oh, and they so are. They are. And of course, our mixed mage of the wolf's wood. And on our team, John Level, as always, since basically the start, Misa, our queen of gifts and beauty. We love you, Misa. It's been a while. We should chat. Thank you, patrons. We appreciate you, patrons. all that you do. Uh, we love you. We love you. All okay. right. Chapter three, wooden word. I'm going to go ahead into that summary. Head in, pal. Graham, apparently the local woodworker, uh, has come bearing a gift. It's a mounting board for Coates' sword. Folly, the sword is called. A funny name for a sword, if you will. Anyway, Coates is really excited. Well, as excited as Coates gets. He's been waiting for it for four months. After being handsomely paid for this difficult work, Graham leaves Coat to hang the mounting board, and Bast enters to admire it. But with Bast, there's always questions. And this brings one, troublesome one. Those tend to be the only worthwhile kind, Coat answers. What were you thinking? Bast says. It's not clear exactly what Bast is referring to with this question, but it appears he disagrees with the decision to mount this sword. The decision that Coat admits he made the choice and is trying not to second guess it. Coat hangs the mounting board and Bast produces a sword. And is it ever a beauty? Dull, gray white, slender, and graceful, deadly sharp. Not a scratch on it. It looked new, but was actually very old. But an unfamiliar shape for a sword. The sword followed. They get on to their day, busily cooking and cleaning, tending to the end, when the oddest thing happens. People come in. Nearly a dozen of them. Get the sense this is a real rarity. And they flew into action, serving them food and drink, making coin. It imbued coat with life and energy. The tinker set up shop outside to sell wares and grind knives, doing a brisk business. The party ate and sang and told stories, and Coat himself joined in the singing, leading more verses to the common song Tinker Tanner than anyone had ever heard. But as the night grew late, Quoth? You're Quoth, one of the travelers drunkenly stated. Coat, sir, Quoth replied. But the man insisted this was Quoth. He recognized the singing voice. He'd heard it before he knew it was him. Coat demurred, trying to put this notion to bed to assure this man that he was not Quoth at all. Are you saying I look like Quoth? The Quoth? I've always thought so myself. He stands to leave and falls down, hurting himself and creating a scene. Bast helps him upstairs, only to learn it was all a ruse. Quoth has Bast give the man something to help him sleep and also gives Bast a story that he must repeat to these travelers casually tonight to convince them he is not Quoth. The next morning after the travelers have gone, Quoth goes to the back blacksmith and gets a rod of pig iron two feet long. For superstition, the blacksmith assumes, and an extra smithing apron and forge gloves as well for cleaning out an old bramble patch, Quoth insists. The blacksmith also tells him that some of the Orison's missing sheep have turned up, shred to ribbons. These two things are surely unrelated. Quoth closed up early that night and went to bed. No customers were around to notice, but it made Bast uneasy. So we start with uh, Graham bringing in the mounting board. 
it's not in the summary there, but it's noted that even Graham, who doesn't know Cote very well, notes how hollow he seems. Duller wan. eyes, duller hair, wan, pale, mm-hmm. almost. Like he's not as full of life as usual. Interesting. I don't yeah. know what else to say other than interesting and not good. It's not what you want for yourself, probably. Another uh, a beautiful metaphor or simile plant like a plant moved into the wrong moved into a wrong part of soil where it can't grow yeah it's fantastic yeah yeah of the source it's so hard to read these things and not be able to talk about it go ahead (laughs) yeah of the sword deadly as a sharp stone beneath swift water like you get that, you understand what he means. Like, mm-hmm. cut you up, son. Mm-hmm. But it's hiding, sneaky, sneaky, dangerous. Yep. Yeah, there's so much foreshadowing here. Like you say, difficult to talk about. Even simple lines like, "Coat held it a moment, the sword, and his hand did, did not shake." His hand did not shake. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you get the sense that this is a man destined for other things, or used to other things, at least. Um, uh, it reminded me of um, the the line in Lord of the Rings about Theoden. Your hands would remember their strength if they held your old sword. And again, I'm mm-hmm. paraphrasing. I didn't get it quite right, probably, but it's it's yeah, totally, there. yeah, good call. Um, you know, where as soon as he picks that sword up, he's like, "Oh, I know, I know, I, I don't know how this works." You know, like I get ah, this. I've done yeah. this a million times. It's fantastic. That reminded me though of Labyrinth and the little dog guy. Yeah. Are you a labyrinth guy? <laughs> nope. No, oh, I really? is not. No, I is not. You've never seen it? I've seen it. Okay. Can't say I wanted to see it again after I saw it. Don't tell Grant. Uh, no, that's fair. Uh, you know, labyrinth is uh I feel like it's it's one of those ones where when you if you watched it as a kid and loved it, it's got that the sentimental value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. If you if you didn't, you watch I mean my wife didn't. She wasn't a fan when she grew up. She watches it now. She's like, "What? Why are we? What's going on here? Puppets and I don't, I don't get it." I'm like, "But no magic and like the guy, like friendship." You know? She's like, like, "Uh huh, uh huh." Yeah. I'll be in the other room. Yeah, kind of. I mean, no, I'll, she she sticks it out. She's a good sport, but you know, yeah. I'll be also cleaning though, the tub or something. <laughs> also, the Jennifer Connelly. So like, let's she's, just let's just back the truck up a minute. Top of your list there. Yeah. 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 She's she's up there. She's right anyway. up there for you. You love yourself, a Jen- Jennifer Connolly. Back to the sword. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I had this note and almost forgot about it because I put it too far down. I didn't put it with my other stuff, talking about the wanness of, of uh, Coat. Yeah. But Graham thinks of Coat as wilting. I think you said it too. Let's go back to our cut flower analogy, right? Yeah, I love totally. how he pulls those tiny little metaphors and analogies through to... You know, we had cut flower mm-hmm. in the prologue, and now we have wilting, right? Wilting and, and wrong soil as well. Mm-hmm. The wrong soil too. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And also, like, they talk about his hair being like flame red, like the petals of a flower almost maybe, but like now fading mm-hmm. like a flower. maybe. That's as they do. As they as do. As they do. Yep. Um, so Bast comes in and sees the sword, and they both just kind of look at it for a minute. 
it says, as if a tribute given to the dead. And this could be a few things. And I, this is not a Divi After Dark thing. This is all speculation to, you know, from my perspective. It feels to me like a, I mean, just the fact that the sword is named Folly, that this is something, this sword did something that he regrets. Folly. Right? Mm-hmm. Tribute given to the dead. Some, something that he regrets that caused pain, death, anguish. Almost like he needs to remember that. Yes. It's not Enough. a sword he's hanging in celebration. It's a sword he's hanging in effigy. But also, also maybe, it's weird, but also maybe reminds him of those days. Yeah, yeah. And he needs to be, right? Right, yep. Yeah, like a Dave Matthews poster. Or shirt. Yep. New album out May 19th, everybody. Did he win that election in 2020? He should have. He should have. Awesome. Dave would have been a great president. Actually, I have no idea about his political leanings, but he's quite liberal. You love him. Let's put him in. Yeah. Um, also South African, but you know. Oh, so he can't run at all. What are you gonna do? Actually, well, if he's how long do you have to be an American citizen to run for president? I knew that in high school. I don't know it now. You have to be 35 and nationalized, but I don't think you have to be born here. So okay. I think, right? I'm pretty sure he's an American citizen. No, you know what? I think 35 and nationalized is the role is a role for Congress and other things. But president, I think I think you need to be American, like born here or on. with parents that are born here, like citizens. Right? I think one of his parents is American. So oh, he's in. Yeah. yeah, he's in. Let's let's yeah. elect him. Let's do I it. Think. Let's uh, libertarian or you know, wherever we gotta go. Okay. He's a Bernie um, guy. He was a Bernie guy. I remember that. Oh well, that's very liberal. Let's put him in right now. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, if you haven't listened to the podcast before, sometimes we're very obvious about our political leanings. <laughs> welcome. Uh, but it does it does feel like um, you, this conversation with Bast and everything, and Bast is like, "WTF, man? What are you? Why yeah. are you? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? This is a why? really dumb thing to do." Yeah, and he's like, "Well, I did it." It's like you haven't done it yet. You don't have to hang it. You could just put the board away. <laughs> you still have an agency here almost like it, it implied or what i'm inferring is we've talked about this you've talked about this like yeah. this is not what we're supposed to be doing here yeah and yeah. you almost see him as he's wilting as graham describes it you almost like a softening like i'm going to display a sword from my past yeah and this gets into the next chapter but you know, it's the next chapter we're going to discuss, so it's really not too much of a spoiler. The whole thing with the Orison family and the Orison boy. This, to me, is where Coat decides he's going to make a difference, is when he finds out the Orison boy is coming around trying to get people to buy mutton just so that that family can make some sort of ends meet after the deal they've been blown by what's obviously the Scrail attacks. Um, this is when he decides he's going to take more of a a firm hand in making a difference for this community. Um, so it's almost like this softening. He's letting his guard down a bit at the same time as he's wilting. So it's fascinating. Very. I, and that's, that's an interesting point about the Orison boy. I didn't, 
that I didn't, I don't have a moment. I didn't pick a moment where I was like, oh, this is the moment where he decided he's going to do something. Um, I felt like it's more of like a constant give and take. Like he doesn't know, almost like he doesn't know who he is. Like he's just fighting, like, do I or don't I? And it's almost like on a whim, he decides which he just to makes do. a decision. Yeah. Yeah. When almost. I stop and thinking and simply do what feels right. That so. exactly. Yeah. Like it's just like, oh, well, I'm doing it. I decided and I'm doing it and I'm not going to look back. I'm just going to do it. Um, but I like that idea. I want to hear more in the next chapter. Yep. Um, so then we get in this chapter, what is, uh, you know, <laughs> we just talked about the fact that he's inviting being known, putting this sword up, almost in, like asking somebody to be like, Folly, I heard a story about that. And look, that with the red hair and the- You've got red hair. It's you. Uh It's you, right? And yet this incident happens hours later, literally the same Same day. day. And he's terrified that he's been caught. Oh, crap. Of course, of course, the day I hang the sword. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I hang this, but it wasn't the sword that gave him away. It was the no, fact that he decided to sing, yeah, yeah, right? And this person... Again, letting his guard down, softening Letting his guard up. down, yep. yep. The sandy-haired man... Well, we have something to talk about Traveler. here. The sandy-haired man is what they describe him as. The sandy-haired man recognizes the singing voice. He heard him sing in Imra. I've heard you sing before, yeah. Exactly. And uh, it's kind of, it sound, he sounds kind of like kind of a thing. He's like, I saw the cobblestones where you did the thing. He sounds like kind of like an uber fan like he knows he knows him right <laughs> i'm not a fan of yeah. car service rides but you know what i mean um so here he is and both is terrified immediately puts on an act to try to hide everything and not be discovered mm-hmm. how can you I'm, i realize i'm putting you on the spot and i apologize but how can you explain being so brazen with the sword which must be somewhat recognizable and absolutely terrified of discovery a few hours later. Yeah. Any explanation for that? No, other than just being a human being and not being perfect. Yeah. I want recognition. Oh, don't look away. Right. Yep. It's a, it's an interesting study into people. We do it all the time, right? Yeah. We hide our wounds. And then we post about it on social media, you know, like, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I do know, sadly. Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess it's, it's not an explanation, but it is a, maybe an argument for my, he's really struggling with this. Yeah. It's hard for him. He doesn't know whether to put it away or to be someone or any of it. Right. He's just very unsure to the point where maybe. Maybe it's even like this is not a Debbie after dark thing. This is not this is not knowledge I have from anywhere else. It's just like you analyzing a character. Yeah, yeah there's there's mm-hmm. magic in this world. Like, has his brain literally been like clouded to the point where he doesn't know who he should be? Hmm. And it's like a constant mm-hmm. kind of I don't know, right? Yeah. Um fun trash TV right now on Peacock. Ooh. Is the reality show Traitor? Have you watched any of that? T R A I T O R. Uh huh. Yeah. Did you tell me about I could this? Be Traitor. Maybe I did. 
years ago though like is it old no it's it's new oh. it's new I'm just came of, out oh, okay i'm thinking of the the what's the famous trader in american history the oh benedict arnold benedict arnold didn't you tell mm-hmm. me about a series about that that i also never watched oh uh uh it's an american revolution story not necessarily yeah. about benedict arnold yeah okay but this one is just a reality show about a bunch of contestants and they go and stay in this big mansion and three of the contestants are traitors they're murderers and every night literally that'd be illegal that would be fun to watch right every night the three traitors decide on someone secretly clandestinely decide on someone to murder do they squeeze their hand three times yes just like i'm doing like the wolf what is it? The, you know what I'm talking about. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> and Murder the, in the that, dark. That person is dead and they have to leave the house. And then, you know, the rest of the housemates have to try to put together clues of who the traitors could be, knowing it's one of them. There's three of them. And those three traitors are just mingling amongst them, trying to hide their identities. And if the traitors make it all the way to the end of the show without being discovered, they win all the money. Mm-hmm. There's a big prize at the end. And if not, the remaining surviving non-traders get the money. So, but Can't the non-traders just wait to see who leaves to make the killings at night and just be like, oh, look, these three. You'd think, you'd think we were wondering about that. Like they would have to like be super quiet as they snuck out of their rooms to mm. go meet up with the killers. Or I'm going to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. They all do have to go to their rooms at like a set time at night. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that and was, then yeah, yeah. Okay. Somehow the traders are able to sneak out and go meet up and decide on who they're going to kill. Uh, I'm telling you all this to just say that we finished the show uh, as a, f- we watched it as a family. Great family. Oh my viewing. God. Yeah. Okay. We all sat and watched it as a family. And um, I'm not judging you, man, but it was kind of fun. It was total trash. It was great. Uh, the traders were talking about, you think it would be fun, right? To be all secret and everything. And they talked about how just intense it was Anxious. all the time yeah. to just be constantly yeah, living yeah. a lie yeah. and having to constantly watch every little thing you say. Every little move you make, every single reaction to receiving some piece of news, you have to always be Be wearing a mask. Yeah. Yeah, And just how exhausting that is. And so even explaining what magic or not, like that just probably gets exhausting for a human being after a while having to live this life. Now they had a nice prize at the end. They could win a hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand dollars or whatever it was. Coat, you know, as far as we know, there's no light at the there's end of no the tunnel form. <laughs> there's no prize. You're just going to die, man. You get to live this way and then you, you got, die. You got this in. It's nice. You're waiting there's, a box. there's a box in your room that you can't open. That you Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. So that was a really long way of just saying that that's got to be exhausting. And sometimes you slip up. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And he does. Cool. Mm-hmm. He does. He slips up and he tries to cover that up. Um, there's a little bit of risk in it uh in 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 trying to get bass to cover it up but he's basically they slip him they slip him some sort of drink you know that supposedly makes him forget right that, that maybe he'll or he won't be believed the next day when he's like that, that was both yeah. and they give bass a story to tell so that they'll all be like no he was just a mercenary guy that took an arrow in the leg and you know that they'll, they'll combat his story with with another story but i gotta ask like there's so 
it's probably just a mistake. But they keep talking about the sandy-haired man is the one that's saying, you're Quoth, you're Quoth, I know you, I remember you. Then the next morning, it says, uh, where is it? Everyone understood except for the sandy-haired merchant's son. Well, before that, it was all about the sandy-haired merchant, the sandy-haired man. Did Bast give the wrong the potion to the wrong person? Oh, that's a good thought. I, I think know. it must be a mistake. I don't want to dwell on it. Let's not waste any more time. But no, no, I, no. Let's give you some credit here, man. Let's say you were onto something. That would be cool. Well, I don't. The reality is that the chronicler comes to the end, and then you know, like, well, it's a spoiler, I guess. But the chronicler meets Quoth. In the very next chapter, so the jig is up. The only thing that would make sense is if, like, he gave it to the wrong person, and then they spread the the truth about Quoth, and someone discovered them. Liari well, gets discovered, right. so I'm not sure it matters. I guess. Okay. okay. It's probably just it's probably just a mistake. Okay. Or and there's a sandy haired you know, sandy haired man would likely have a sandy haired child, right? So let's just move yeah. on. But that, yeah, sandy hair, I guess, is common ish. I noted it. I guess is all I'm saying. So anyway, yeah, the next morning, uh, the Scrailer killing sheep, and Quoth goes to go get uh, gloves and a blacksmith apron. And a big honking piece of iron. And a big piece of iron. Uh, you know, at that point, he's decided, right? And it's Scrail hunting your, time. To your point, he, you, you said, like, that's the moment he decides. I think so. Um, Good morning, Reshi. Good morning, Bast, Coat said. Any news? The Orison boy stopped by, wanted to know if we needed any mutton. Coat nodded, almost as if he had been suspecting the news. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it goes on and on. But, but like, that could be the moment. Like, it wasn't just that moment. It was, like, overnight. He was like... If I get any sort of I get any sort indication... Of that this is dangerous for people, I'm going to do something. Right. Right? Like maybe that yep. was what he was thinking about exactly. that night as he sat eating his stew, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why he didn't do any of the chores. Yeah, exactly. None Which he chores. usually does every single night. Which he usually does, and no one noticed because no one was there. But yeah, it's a, it's a good idea. Yeah, I like it. I like your idea there. Uh, you have anything else for this section? No, no. We'll carry that theme about the not doing the chores and stuff into the next chapter. Let's let's yeah. go to it if you're ready. Halfway to Noir. I'm ready. Halfway to Noir. Chronicler had been unable to procure a horse, so on he walked toward Noir. But night had fallen, and Chronicler was lured off the road by a light, a farmhouse he suspects, one that might take him in for the night and spare him the road. But what he finds is a raging bonfire in the middle of a ruined old house, a bonfire that stinks of burning hair and rotten flowers, and a bonfire by which Coat is huddling. That is, until Chronicler speaks to him. 
and Coach jumps up to defend himself with his long pig iron cudgel. Carnacle tries to step away and leave the man to his fire, wanting no trouble himself. He's like, dude, I'm sorry. Hey, hey, whatever weird stuff you got going on, man, go ahead. It's fine. I'll just go that way or whatever way you let me. But Coat will not let him leave, insisting that if Chronicle goes back out there, he's as good as dead. But when the traveler asks, what's out there? Coat's not sure how much of what is about to happen he should share. He kind of sizes him up. Besides giving the details. Demons in the shape of big black spiders. There's no such thing as demons, Chronicle replies. To which, Coates says, Well, I guess we can all go home then. Listen, I'm guessing you're an educated man. I respect that. And for the most part, you're right. But here and now, tonight, you're wrong. Wrong as wrong can be. You don't want to be on the wrong side of that fire when you figure that out. The level of certainty with which Coat responds to him makes Chronicle a move to the, wrong, the, to the other side of the fire. And before they could do really anything more than a little advice of how to fight what's coming, the Skrail descended upon them. The first jumping right onto the Chronicler, knocking him over and out as his head hit the stone wall behind him. The last thing the Chronicler saw before passing out was Coat standing still and ready to fight with his long iron rod. When the Chronicle came to, Coat was sitting there by the fire and the Skrail were gone. Five there were, and Coat apparently killed them all. But he needed help burning and burying them. Ash and Rowan Wood had been cut, and they needed a pit. Chronicler laughed. Coat was following the directions from a children's song to bury these demons. You'd be surprised at the sort of things hidden away in children's songs, Coat replies. Chronicler gets up to help dig, but then passes out again immediately, leaving the heavily wounded Coat to do the digging all by himself. And that's the end of the chapter. Mm-hmm. An interesting little section. A little bit yeah, of um, we get some action. Well, almost. Sort of. I mean, almost. You you get like uh, it's like a tease of action. It's like in uh, it's like in Game of Thrones, the television show, where they didn't have the budget to show the battle at the Green Fork, mm-hmm. and so they just had Tyrion get knocked out, knocked unconscious early on in the battle, and then they just. Feel him waking yeah. up, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good, it's a good, uh, a good comparison. Yeah, but I wonder. Uh, he said a in the last chapter that Coat didn't do any of the chores he normally did. He just like went up to bed, mm-hmm. and I wonder if Homeboy like snuck out his window. Is this the yeah. same? I don't know if it says if this is the exact same night of or what. But even like symbolically, it's like him. These chores, I don't need to do them now. I don't need to be in constant motion and action and touching and holding and polishing because I'm going spider hunting tonight. Feels like it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know if we know for sure. I don't know if it matters exactly, but, but it feels like he closed up early so he could leave early. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why go get the pig iron and the, the mittens and an apron if you're not doing it today? Uh, sure. 
it feels like he went yeah that night I don't, I don't know if it matters that much but yeah it feels like it yeah. and interestingly when chronicler sees him his description of coat is completely different from how graham had seen him earlier that day he mm. describes him as having impossibly red hair mm. and shocking, vibrant green up. eyes. Shocking, vibrant green eyes, right? Like, In the dark is, of night. By this campfire. is living for coat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good point. I think, um, again, I, I don't know how far to take this theme. I, I don't even know if it's real, but the the warring between fading away, you know, and still living, having physical attributes within his eyes and hair is interesting, mm -hmm. right? Is he choosing to live oh. or is he choosing to fade away? Mm -hmm. Well, when he chooses to fade away, you can see it in, right. in his attributes. A little weird. I don't love it, to be honest. But, you know, it's not real, you know? People, that doesn't happen with people, but... Um, you know, sometimes as fiction, it's not bad. Yeah, in fiction, it's not bad. Sometimes it's also just perception. Yeah, like if he yeah, never, you see if the vitality he, in people, and it seems yeah. everything's more brighter and engaged. right. Yeah, yeah. And it's Chronicler's first time seeing him, so maybe to him, yeah. those sure. eyes look very green. But to Graham, who's seen him every night and everything, <clears throat> yeah. Also, the, the bloom is off the rose to bring in the flower. <laughs> off the cut rose. But mm -hmm. in this, he's also being lit by a bonfire, you know, yeah. like cool atmosphere. Fire yeah. extending to his actual hair. Yeah. Yeah. You know. yeah. So these things sound brutal to fight. Are you upset that we didn't get any sort of action sequence of any kind? I am a little upset. I would have liked yeah. to see more. Yeah. I've heard that this the the series has been optioned for television or movie. Um, who knows if it'll ever happen? But uh, at the same time, part of the exciting part of this chapter is the lead up to it, and mm -hmm. Coat trying to quickly prepare Chronicler. Like you said, it's very quick, but very there is you do feel that anticipation and kind of that Ooh, something crazy is going to happen. And that's almost as exciting as the action sequence itself. So I get it. How about yeah. you? Um, yeah, I would, I would like to read it. Um, you know, this is a, I would say this is very much a series that is not about action. Sure. You know, like most of what you get in conflict wise is not super detailed. Uh, I guess that's a little bit of a spoiler, more like, thematically what you should expect to read when you're reading this but um yeah i'm a little disappointed it would have been not like most honestly it's less about the action more like what happens when he hits them with the iron do they shatter do they like how vulnerable are they does it just make them squeal and they're right back on you that's more what i'm interested in to be yeah. honest is like the lore of it and and, and like frankly just intentional yeah, like catharsis, like well, I'm freaked out by spiders and that whole scene where it just says you could see them coming at him and like they're skirting around the fire and then hopping at him like yeah. right in his face. Like I want to see, I want to see some spiders getting it, man. I want to see those spiders getting it. Yeah, but it's kind of like, I don't even know what to compare it to. I didn't watch the end of Game of Thrones, but I did, did, in Game of Thrones, when they hit them with Valyrian steel, do they just like explode? Yeah, it's really not awesome. They did, did they explode though? 
I'm trying to remember if they like dust or like, I don't remember. I don't remember. Someone here well, knows. Almost, Someone listening knows. <laughs> Someone does. It's almost like, I want to know, like, does the iron just like obliterate them? Or is it like just it's the only weapon that's barely effective? Yeah, that's like and still it was terrible. Yeah. You just gotta touch the thing with the guy. It's like, well, I could probably do that. Right. Like, you know, just you know, like touch them and they explode. But it feels like maybe they it's not that vulnerable. Fun to unless see. they're dead. Yeah. We'll get more of that in Debbie. Just Anderson. out, just like thumping him, just seeing him out there, just like you know, like yeah, Steve and yeah, Stranger cool. things when he's fighting off the dogs. With his bat with the nails in it, just like thunk. Just want to. I just want to see Stranger? that. Stranger, what, what is it? What Steve is and Stranger Things. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Stranger, Steve Harrington. I heard Stephen Stranger. I'm like, who's that? Stephen awesome. St- <laughs> Doctor Strange. What? <laughs> <laughs> with a bat with nails in it. Uh, okay, Hopefully, so I'm probably I'm slurring my speech. I'll take take fault in that one. Me too. Maybe for other reasons. So they then need to bury these things, burn them and bury them. And the chronicler makes fun of him because he's using a children's song for the rules. And one of my favorite things in these first chapters we have is that he's like, yeah, like there's good shit in those children's songs. <laughs> like there's, there's real, real stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And more coming in future episodes about that. But uh it's real man like there's real stuff in there and some of it's bogus and has been translated poorly but there's real stuff in there and that's good that it survived and we should make sure it continues to survive yeah it's i like how he takes it to another level of you know tolkien used a lot of songs Mm -hmm. martin uses songs Songs. rothfuss uses children's songs yeah and it's just an interesting take i yeah. like it rockabye yeah, baby in the treetops ashes ashes we all fall down oh yeah it's just like yeah parker parker posey in the nope what is it hmm? Hmm? parker posey using baseball player posey posey ring around the full, ring around the rosy full of full of parker oh posey <laughs> You know, you know where I'm going. Uh, anyway, uh, more more coming and all of that with the children's songs and where the secrets are hidden. But um, yeah, so he's he's gonna bury he's gonna burn them and bury them. Uh, Chronicle falls asleep and he does it himself. And that's passes out, kind of. Yeah, he kind of passes out from the you know sat up too fast, mind. whatever. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's all we get until the next episode. That's it, guys. Which, Unless you have more notes. If not, we can go to Debbie after dark. Uh, this is where I had my mo- note. This map is pretty effing useless so far. BTW. That's my note. It's terrible. <laughs> the map have, is pretty effing useless so far. BTW. I have a where in the world segment, which I haven't figured out what it's like. Where in the world is anything in this book? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Except like we got to come up with something more clever than that. But when we do, we'll come up with a musical segment. <laughs> maybe. And Matt can like guitar it and like can sing it or he can or whatever. But uh, yeah, it feels like there's there's a lot of mystery around where a lot of these things happen. I have maybe a few answers, but we'll maybe we get there in Debbie After Dark or another time. Right, yeah. Should we go to Debbie After Dark then? Let's do it. Are we doing the da-da-na-na or are you going to like put something together for it? I'm going to put something together for it.
so you'll hear it right now. Debbie after dark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks everyone for joining us because now it's time to enter the realm of book spoilers in a segment we like to call Debbie after dark, which you just heard the thing for. Good job, Matt. Yep, I'm really impressed. Debbie is a character that will show up later in this book. One of my favorite characters. Uh, she's fantastic and kind of morally vague, but also just kind of those are the best sweet, ones. Sweet in her own way, also, mm-hmm. uh, but super smart and just clever and just taking the world for herself. Anyway, I love Debbie. Um, so Debbie After Dark is a segment. In remembrance of our segment, Davos After Dark. Right. Um, I want to cover the prologue real quick, Matt, with a, just a very quick one. We talked about it a little bit, but um, this one of the reasons I originally recommended this series to you is because I thought you would identify with how tied in music is to it. Absolutely. Music is a huge part of this series. First book, second book, I assume third book too. I don't actually know. I, I kind of want to look at what Rothfuss's experience is with music and whether he's a musician himself or, you know, what, what exposure he has to it. But I think he played bass on some Carlos Santana albums. I, honestly, actually, it would not I, shock me. I don't know. I, I I'm sure up. you're kidding me, but it wouldn't shock me because <laughs> the man has genius within him. Yeah. Um so I guess it's just kind of, well, I think it's it's purposeful that there's no music in the prologue. Mm-hmm. I think it's meant to offset the rest of the book and specifically this character, Quoth, who lives by his music. You don't know that yet, but he lives by his music. And the fact that there isn't any shows just how much he's changed and how much of him has just been left in the dust. Right, because quoth without music is useless. He's a wilting cut flower. Yeah, wilting cut flower. Well put. Well, well, I didn't say it. Rothfuss did. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I just want to point that out. It's the only thing I got for the prologue. Is sure. just that music is a huge part of the series. I kind of hinted at it before when we were talking about the prologue, but it's a. Yeah, I think it's meant to show just how far removed Quoth is from himself in the, in this moment. Yeah. At this. Mm-hmm. End. Yep. Yeah. This is this identity crisis. I don't know if it's a crisis cause it's a very deliberate choice, but, uh, but no, of course there was no music that just lends itself so beautifully to reread. Yeah. Um, that we'll go back and go, of course. Oh yes. Course. Yeah. Obviously there wouldn't be music. Obviously. Uh, so, if you don't have anything else for the prologue, we can move into chapter one, where most most of the good stuff is. Of course, yeah. Feels like. Uh, Taborlin is how I say it. I think you said Taborlin, maybe. Or, Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I don't know what the correct thing is. I didn't look. Um, Taborlin is. I, I feel like maybe we should back up. I feel like these early sections of Devi After Dark are just gonna be kind of like these are the players and maybe this is what these things mean. I'm not sure how deep we'll get into some of them. Taberlin though is an almost mythical creature. Yeah. Figure at least not creature figure. Right. Mm -hmm. Stories abound about him defeating enemies 
Um, there's lots of speculation about who might be Taberlin. Um, one popular theory is that one of Quoth's future teachers, Olodin, is actually the real Taberlin. Mm-hmm. Um, Taberlin has all sorts of tools and stuff, but I think much like most of these stories that you hear from people like Old Cobb, they're stories. You don't know what's real. Most of it's like, maybe it's just the naming they're doing and it looks like they're using a key and a coin and all these things as magical props, but I wonder if most of it's just the naming. Right. You know? That is interesting how he leaves that bit of doubt in us. Could he really be? Or is he not? But regardless, he is a very popular figure. Almost Jesus Christ level, but at the same time, this guy's a warrior. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but he seems sly too, well educated, yeah. knows the name of everything. Right. Yeah, and you know we'll we'll learn more about naming as we go. But mm-hmm. um, you know, even the people that know names, the people that become arcanists and learn names of things, they don't usually know the name of more than like two or three, right? And you get the sense that Tableland knows many. Um, more to come. I guess this is all we maybe need to say. Um, yep. But uh, he's maybe a more recent figure than some. I mean, we'll get into a lot more of the history with Salitos and the Amir and lots of other legends in this series, but Tabolin is more recent than them. He seems more on the forefront of people's, you know, stories. That's true. Stories. Yeah. The mythology of a song of ice and fire is so old, right? Like, yeah, very. 10,000 yeah. years old of the wall and all of that. Taberlin's hundreds and, and these of uh, the Amur are more like a few thousand, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't I hadn't thought about that before until you said it. But this this does feel more more recent, more graspable. Yeah. Then yeah, I remember early on when we were covering Game of Thrones and you would try to put him to perspective how long ago something was. And just like 10,000 years is just unimaginable for us. Yeah, so. totally. It was like 10,000 years ago, wine was invented. Like, holy mm-hmm. shit. I don't remember <laughs> if that was the exact example, but it was something like that, right? Like, it's crazy to think about, you know? Like, it was a long time ago. Nobody remembers that. Nobody can remember the stories of those days. Not, not with detail. Correct. Yeah. This is, yeah, this feels a little bit more recent. I wonder if that's, you know, not that Patrick was reading A Song of Ice and Fire and trying to make changes or anything. Yeah, and he's like, I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to do it different. But I wonder if it was intentional that he wanted it to feel more recent. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I do see him as kind of like a guy who kind of challenges or not. And like you said, not like I'm going to go do the opposite of Martin or Tolkien, but he, he does try to challenge just the generalized tropes if you want to call them that or just like well held traditions of fantasy writing a little bit um like you said uh, less of a focus on action scenes which is a very big part of fantasy fighting dragons and things like that and and even some of this stuff you know tolkien is notoriously his stuff goes back even further than martin does and that's hundreds of thousands like yeah yeah it's really fun to. It's go not even on this continent, actually. Yeah. It's 
over here in this place you don't care about. Yeah. And you'll never hear about it again. Yeah. I'm going to tell you about it anyways. Unless you spend 12 hours on the wiki like we do. Yeah. So I feel like Rothfuss, yeah, I'm interested to dive into this more and, and see if that statement that I'm making is really correct. If he does maybe challenge things a little bit more, you know, kind of a newer guard of writer that's going to look at things a little differently. Yeah, I wish I had more to add to that. I, I yeah, feel I really don't. I feel, I feel almost guilty, you know, like I should have done more research about Rothfuss himself and what he stands for before diving into this. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, that's how we do things here at Davos. Yeah, we know. We're going we're gonna to figure it out as we go. Um, you know, to me, my impression of him is that he just wants to tell his story. And, um, you know. And I love that. He's, yeah, he's probably not thinking a lot about what other people are doing. He's just kind of doing his own thing. Mm-hmm. At the same time, he used the term tinker, which is from the Wheel of Time. You know, they use the same term for, eh, they're not exactly the same. They're, they're not. But, you know, he's still using a term for a traveling folk that, you know, wander through the land. Um, so I, I he still pays homage, you know. Perhaps that's what it is. Yeah. I, I think he... I think he has a wonder, wonderful handle on the things he's trying to tell. I'm not sure how much he's trying to support or subvert the tropes. He's got the story he's trying to tell. But yep. I, but I don't yep. know. I, I want to look into it more now that you bring it up. Yep. You know? Totally down with what you're saying. Real quick, I want to talk about the chest, which is the only other thing I... There's a lot we can talk about in this chapter uh, for Debbie After Dark, but the chest in Coates' room, uh, according to the wiki, weighs 400 pounds when empty. I think that comes up in the second book, Wise Man's (laughs) We have no idea what is in it. Presumably he does. We still don't, yeah. But I'll bet like a billion it's something in his past that he regrets or something from Denna's story, or something of his own, his own personality that's like locked away that keeps him from being whole. Right. Something yeah. Like that. Mm-hmm. There. So um, we haven't delved into this at all, but um, iron is uh, has been noted already as harmful to the scray, uh, scrail. Sorry, uh, but also later in the series becomes known that it's it's hard it's harmful to fey fey creatures of any kind right uh bast himself in a few chapters gets threatened with iron and is, gets his hackles up and is terrified um copper is interesting because it doesn't have a name right it's uh from what we know in the fandom copper isn't something that namers can name and control they can control yeah. the wind they can control rocks they can control stone they can control all sorts of other things but they don't have a name for copper and so this box if it's got an iron lock to keep the fey out and it's got a copper lock to keep namers out and it's got a regular lock right to keep regular people out that's maybe the goal um yeah and i i wondered i wondered if the third lock you know just regular people who cares i wondered if that third lock is meant to keep both himself out that there's something inside. We get the, we get the sense over these first few, few chapters that like Coat is not the person he used to be. 
-hmm. whether he wants to be or not is a little uncertain. He seems like he's struggling with that. Like what is like he should. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like he's, he's faded. He's a cut flower. His hair is fading. His eyes are less sharp, all those things. But like, what does he want to be? I wonder if like a part of him, his soul or like his essence somehow, or like his potential is locked away in there. Hmm. Right. And that he can't get to it. And so when he looks at it with just heartache and pain, it's because he knows his essence is like in there, right? There's a like concept. A, I didn't like invent a that. A little, uh, maybe I didn't read the Harry Potter books. I feel ashamed and also proud at the same time. Um, <laughs> but I didn't come up with this myself exactly. I've expanded on it a little bit, but that's mostly on the wiki. Um, but I, I feel like maybe the crux of this story is that something he's done in something we haven't read in the two books we have has led to a crucial piece of him being locked away in this box that he doesn't have access to. And frankly, that Bast is there to like keep him from no, see if he can get it out. Oh, could be either. To be honest, Mm. it really could be either based on what we've seen from Bast, but Mm -hmm. Uh, but I feel like maybe help him realize his potential and get it out. That's a, that's a lot of speculation on my part. I All hope right. to hear from King Killer fans that are like, dude, you're way off. You suck. I hope to hear from people that know more and tell me that I'm wrong, but that's kind of the way I feel about it. Yeah. We get some little hints of clues in the text. When he's talking to the sandy-haired traveler, he talks about the place in Imri where you killed him, mm-hmm. right? This is the King Killer Chronicle. Him yep. being a king seems like the most obvious of answers. Mm-hmm. Potentially with folly. Maybe he killed him with folly. I don't know, but it also seems like there's some magic involved too. Just the fact that cobblestones were shattered so that nobody can mend them. Makes me think it wasn't just you walked up to a king and stabbed him, right? There was no, oh, yeah. There's naming involved for sure. There's a big to do. There's some with magic all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and for sure, a large enough thing that he feels he can't go back to what he was. But yeah, whether that's like you're saying, if there's some sort of spiritual essence in there, or if it's maybe a physical connection to his past life like his loot or something like that you know could be both it, mm-hmm. we don't know yeah and i'm glad you mentioned folly because you know i don't think we know yet why it's named that way it could be it could be related to what's in that box right um this was a mistake and mm-hmm. and what's inside the box is represented by what you've got mounted outside the box right yeah um that's I don't, what got you here it's been a bit since I read The Wise Man's Fear. I'm trying to catch up and read it through again so I'm more informed. I'm, you know, 200 pages into Name of the Wind now for my fourth reread. But nice. Wise Man's Fear has been a bit. Um, I don't think we know at all about Folly. He has another sword, Cicer, I think right. is how I pronounce it, uh, that he gets on another journey. But I don't know anything about Folly. This is all we learn about it. So. I think I read that there was some, 
no, I shouldn't even bring it up because I don't remember it well enough that there's some speculation that it belonged to one of the Chandri and I can't think of the name now. Haliax kind of fix fits the or description Cinder. of Cinder. Cinder Sword. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a theory for sure that that he's actually killed Cinder and taking his sword. Uh-huh. It it matches description kind of uh, of the way the way it's been described before. So yeah, that that is that's a theory for sure that he's taking Cinder's sword, which would be great. Uh, one one of the big fears I have about this series is like similar to George, the same same fears I have with George is like, man, how are you? You know, like we're in the spoiler section here, so. You're two books in. There have been no king killings yet. You got a lot to pull off, sucker. Like, what are you going to do for the next one book? You know, to like make all this happen, and uh, yeah, killing Cinder, getting his sword, and also killing a king. Unless Cinder is also the king, which we don't know. Um, you know, that would be that'd be a lot. Oh sure. But I'm, I trust, I trust in my authors. Mm-hmm. And I want Pat to pull it off, and I hope that he's not suffering from the same thing I think George is suffering from, which is tying it all together rather than actually yeah. being able to write the story, right? With the constant crushing of expectation, pressure. Of, yeah, yeah. We love you, Pat. And Figure this you, out, and I want to read it. And I know you know that everyone wants to read it, but you're also not listening to this so i don't know why i'm addressing you directly uh, maybe someday. we're putting it out maybe. there we're putting, yeah, it, out putting there. it out there uh, i i haven't uh, it feels like the last time i heard him say anything about it was kind of almost apathetic on his part almost like a, i don't know if i'll ever finish it and i not really thinking about it right now or i don't i don't remember if that was 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 it do you know of any updates Almost Some, like he was sick of everybody asking there, him there to was, the point of like... Yeah, so I feel like several years ago he said something to the line of, and I'm paraphrasing, this is not a direct quote, but he said something along the lines of like, I'd rather work on anything else other than oh, yeah. Doors of Stone. Mm-hmm. Something like that, like not good. And Again, I didn't get it exactly right. I'm sorry, Pat, if you ever do get one of this. I'm not trying to misquote you, but it was something along those lines. He was in a very negative place about it. He was going through some things, I think, if I remember right, personally. In the meantime, he's made a lot of progress. Uh, he released the the prologue to the third book, which is again a silence of three parts, and it's fucking amazing, just like the first two are. It's really <laughs> good. You can go read it. It's actually he does he's he reads it himself. Um, he did it as part of a world builder uh, fundraiser uh, for his cool. charity, mm-hmm. and it was great. It's really good. It's fantastic. Um, and, you know, he's been promising that it, kind of like George, he's been promising like, oh, it's coming. We'll, you know, we'll release it next year kind of thing. He hasn't given an update in a while. Um, I, I I feel like it's kind of similar to, to. Yeah. Sounds like to drink to, to wins. I feel like it's kind of imminent, but there's still work to be done and. It's going to do it right. Don't, yeah. They don't want to give us all the detail, but yep. I love Pat's writing. I hope it comes and um Thanks everybody for listening here, but we're covering it because it's great whether we get it or not. Yep. I only have one more thing I want to add on the Debbie After Dark section. Okay. And it's with respect to the Scrail. If you have anything you want to add, of course, please do. Um, we hear that when they touch the iron 
to the scrail, they get the scent of. Uh, oh, it's oh, the yeah, same I've scent. Got it written down. Yeah, it's, it's the same uh, sense. Uh, burning hair and rotten flowers. Rotten flowers again. And flowers. That, so that's what happens when they touch the drab to the scrail. Mm-hmm. We also hear that smokes that quotes fire coats fire smells of rotten flowers and burning hair. And so I think the smell he's 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 burning luring. It he's mm-hmm. luring them in with that scent of yep. their own dead, which implies also that when they die, maybe they give off that scent and lure more of themselves to that place. So like lending to the pit and the fire and the burning and burying them, lending to that, if you don't take care of it properly, the scent will draw more of them, right? Yeah, it's almost like a way of calling in reinforcements. Exactly, but, yeah. So yeah. The, the wood that they have to use maybe has to be like, it gives off a really strong essence when you burn it right Other odor yeah to yeah. cover it yep mm-hmm. yep yeah like masks it yeah right totally yeah, rowan wood yeah get it get it yeah. buried down deep enough maybe to keep the scrail from finding the actual body and mm-hmm. stuff it's, yeah. yeah they can't yeah. dig they can't dig through it yeah mm-hmm. or it or again it just masks the scent enough that they can't yeah. find it just yeah. being far enough down yeah for sure totally agree so yeah. that's that's all I got for Debbie After Dark. Have uh, anything to add? I do not. Nope. But Matt, how was how was this first episode for you? Covering new material, did you like it? I enjoyed. Hmm, this is gonna. Some readers are gonna blanch at this, uh, but I mean it in all sincerity. I enjoyed talking about it more than I enjoyed actually reading it. Hmm or preparing for this episode. I enjoyed talking about it with you, seeing your love and passion for it, mm-hmm. all of those things more than I enjoyed even just preparing to talk about it. So. Well, I hope, I hope that fades and, and the enjoyment of prep comes, comes back. Uh, to me, I, uh, I, I mean, I also struggled, but also we've been away from our formula for so long of mm-hmm. like this, this much coverage in one episode that it struggled for me to get even back. Like, what is it? When do I, how do I do it? And what goes in the after dark section and all those things. It was, it was a little rough to prep, yeah. to be honest. It was harder than it's been. You know, mm-hmm. our recent Meet the Kalisar episodes were one chapter, right? Usually. And spoiler abound. 12 to 20, pa- 20, 12 to 20 pages or something, right? Right. And we're here, you know, covering 40. And I, I thought it was good. I thought we did well. It's a, uh, it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment to get used to it, but another sure. new normal for us. Yep. Yep. For the creatures of habit that we are, we sure love to throw wrenches into our, our systems every once in a while. Occasionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you had a, you had a sign off. A very simple one. We've already mm-hmm. covered it, but mm-hmm. uh, just remember guys that sometimes the greatest successes Come from decisions you make when you stop thinking and just do what you feel is right. I'm going to just sign off with the ending of the prologue. It was the patient cut flower sound of a man who is waiting to die. And aren't we all? Yeah, I said it. We, I mean, yep. Yep. Thanks for listening, old listeners and new. Appreciate you coming on the journey with us.
Good night. Until next time. And fade to black. <laughs>